So it might be that your hormones are doing what they are supposed to do, but your reaction is not appropriate to that hormone. And so it's causing these issues. And then our treatment plan is more based off of how do we, again, support your body as you're going through these different parts of your cycle? And how do we make sure that you're not sensitive to the shifts happening? Because I think I like to phrase it like there's not a single day um, for menstruators where our hormones are the exact same. We are constantly in a shift. There's not a single day that it's the exact same as the day before. And so, of course, we're going to feel different every single day. But as long as we learn how to support that as best as we can, then it's easier. You're listening to the Well Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's menstrual cycle educator, natural fertility coach, and daytime mermaid. This is a place where we discuss all things periods, poo, ovulation, fertility, and sex. Join me weekly as we rediscover our menstrual cycles, unlock its superpowers, and guide you back into your cyclical nature. This is episode 202 of the Well Woman podcast. You're tuning in to the ep about PMDD symptoms and holistic treatment with Lynn Reset. Dr. Lynn is a licensed naturopathic doctor currently practicing in Ontario, Canada. She has a clinical focus and strong background in hormonal balances, specifically painful periods and PMS. She is passionate about evidence-based medicine and helping her patients simplify their health and get the results that they want and need. In this episode with Dr. Lynn, we are chatting about PMDD, something else that is really close to Dr. Lynn's heart. We dive deep into like, what is PMDD? How do we know if we have PMDD? How can we track PMDD? Not to mention exploring the physical and mental signs and symptoms of PMDD, what hormones are at play when it comes to PMDD. Being a naturopathic doctor, of course, we dive into the nutritional deficiencies that can contribute to PMDD, the right food and nutrition required for supporting PMDD, and the supplements that you need to also support PMDD with good food practices. This is a beautiful episode and it's jam-packed with lots of information. Dr. Lynn knows her stuff, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Lynn, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be a part of this. Very welcome. You're very welcome. I'm also really excited. We've been having a little giggle before we hit record. We're talking about such an important topic today, like a really important topic. And I'm really excited to dive into that because it's just not normalized or communicated enough about. So before we dive in, tell us what day of your cycle are you on and how are you checking in with your body today? Sure. So day of the cycle, I actually don't currently have a cycle. I'm newly postpartum. I have a three month old. And so due to breastfeeding, I don't have a cycle. And how I check in with my body is um, right before I go to work, I usually just kind of like sit on my desk chair and ground myself and try to think like, is there a part of my body that feels tense? And then, yeah, I just try to kind of like decompress right before my day starts. Mm, I love that like how you start your day like what's the saying that like how you start your day is how you win your day or something yeah <laughs> it's start like the foundations are so important at the start of the day and I'm sure you've learned a lot about that with a new little bub yep <laughs> yeah the importance <laughs> of self-care um definitely I knew about it before but now it came full circle how important it truly is to take care of your your body so that you yeah. can take care of others yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like the airplane, like make sure you fit your own oxygen first. Yep. Like, but what about my baby? Um, yeah, very, very important. So thank you for yeah. sharing. Now, a lot of people know you as Dr. Lynn, but tell us how did you become a naturopathic doctor and then specialize in PMDD? Like how was that all linked together and what led you on this journey to love this aspect of health? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm currently residing in Canada, so in North America. To become a naturopathic doctor, it takes eight years after high school um, to become one. And the reason why I decided to go down that route is through my own menstrual concerns when I was a teenager and a young adult. I struggled like my periods were horrific. They were so painful. I would actually faint and vomit everywhere. Like 
I would dread every single month. Um, and it would take me out for like a few days every single month. And I ended up seeing my own naturopathic doctor and got a lot of help through that. I'm like, Hey, yes, this is exactly what I want to do in my career. I want to help people who have like period related issues or hormone related issues. And so that is what made me go down this route. And then at school, you're kind of just like, you just learn how to be like a general practitioner. And then through continuing education is when you really start to focus, like you get a really, a focus, I guess, in your practice on like, whatever it is that you want to. So I wanted to focus on like hormonal health and PMS and PMDD and any period related issues that might come up for people. Mm, Powerful. And there are a lot of period issues. I like to call them challenges, but there are a lot out there. Like me as a menstrual cycle educator, and I've been doing this for like a long time too. There are a lot out there. So before I ask you like, what is PMDD for those who don't know what PMDD is, how many people like menstruators, womb owners out there really struggle with things like PMDD? Yeah. So PMDD, the stats are somewhere around eight to 12% or other resources will say one in 20 um, people or menstruators will have um, PMDD. And that's a huge, like, that's a pretty big statistic. Cause if you think about it, we can all think of 20 different menstruators in our lives. And at least one of them struggle with this very serious condition. I did not know that eight to 12% of people experience things like PMDD because it's just not talked about. And I know that some people are like, but I'm the only one that has painful periods and I'm the only one, but you're actually not. And I really am a big educator on the difference between what's normal and what's common. And I think things like this, and we will talk about everything that contributes to it, but it's becoming a lot more common. And a lot more people are experiencing it. Is this what you've seen too in your own practice? Yeah, I have seen that as well. And I think, I don't know if it's because it's becoming more common or it was just normalized for too long that now people are realizing this isn't normal to feel this way. Like Mm. just because someone's a menstruator or has a uterus, they shouldn't feel this way every single month. And so I don't know if it's just more people coming for help now and realizing I shouldn't be down for a few days or even a couple of weeks every single month. Like that's a huge chunk of someone's life to feel this way. A massive chunk of someone's life. And to to know that on average, you know, we have 12 to 13 cycle or menstrual uh, menstruation periods a year. That's a lot of time. If you add it up without an abacus, I really can't work this out, but like 12 times, like let's say it's five days, 12 times five. That's a lot of numbers. Okay. (laughs) We're into three digits. Um, So yeah, you're right. There is a lot. And I liked when you said, oh, one of, when one of 20, I think of 20 people standing in a row and like one person steps forward, like that's a really big chunk considering like 48% of the population of the planet are female or born female. Like that's a lot of people and we need more education, support and understanding around this. So let's talk about it. What is PMDD? How do you explain PMDD to someone who's like, oh, I think I might have PMDD or do I just have PMS? What is PMDD? Sure. So PMDD stands for premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And I don't know if um, you've ever heard of this saying, but it's essentially PMS on steroids. So it's a lot more of a serious type of PMS. So there's PMS that's just a bit of an annoyance, right? Where it's like, ah, my boobs are a little sore or like I feel a little bit more irritable, but it doesn't get in the way of your life. PMDD is truly like very significantly a change in how someone feels both physically and mentally. And there's a whole criteria of like different symptoms that are required to get a diagnosis. And it can be really tricky to get the diagnosis because again, PMS is so normalized or even it's used as a joke sometimes like, oh, she's just PMSing no big deal like and it's like no like it could be actually quite significantly like impactful to someone's life if they're going through something as severe as PMDD okay you just mentioned a couple of really good things if someone is thinking oh actually this is not feeling of course it doesn't feel fantastic but this is not feeling like it's really in alignment with me or that I'm in actual like a healthy state, how would someone get to the stage where like, okay, I think I have PMDD. I need to go work that out or I need to go get some support before we talk about like the diagnosis side of it. 
how would someone actually work that out? I have my own thoughts, but I'd love to hear yours. Yeah, sure. So the best thing is to track. Um, Tracking is such a powerful thing because me as a practitioner, I love when my patients come in, fully track their symptoms. It allows for a quicker diagnosis because now I don't have to send them home having to track their symptoms for the next few cycles to then come back and give me that information. It's already tracked. So tracking is really key here and not just tracking at that time of the cycle in the luteal phase. So the second part of the cycle, it's really about tracking the entire cycle to make sure that there's nothing else going on because there can be an overlap with anxiety and depression. It can be hard to kind of pinpoint, is it just anxiety that worsens before your period? Is it depression that worsens before your period? Or is it this new set or this new diagnosis called PMDD? Um, So tracking throughout the entire cycle, how you're feeling every day is super important. That's what I was going to say. (laughs) Like that's exactly what I would recommend. But also I think... And like, tell me if I'm wrong, because sometimes I could be wrong. But if someone is tracking their cycle for, let's say, three, four, five cycles, and they're like, this happens every fucking day on day or every cycle in day 25, like, ah, like, is that that's helpful, right? That is super helpful. Yeah, because then we're able to tell exactly or somewhat tell what happens at that part of the cycle. We know how hormones fluctuate. Um, And so if we know exactly what day that happens, we can tell potentially which hormone is playing a factor in the symptoms. And I think you could also look at someone's cycle and if they've tracked the entire cycle, because some people just track when they menstruate and that they're like, I track my cycle. I'm like, oh, there's so much opportunity here. (laughs) Um, So if someone is tracking their whole cycle, they can also see when they have uh, like highs and when they have lows, not just looking at the lows. And like you mentioned about the hormonal changes, I feel like we definitely live in a world. I love to hear your opinion on this. We definitely live in a world that like promotes like happy joy, even if it's fake joy, you know, like, oh my God, my life's so great. Everything looks perfect in my life. And I'm totally not having a breakdown and I'm just going to keep going on until I fucking die. But there's so much like normalization around that when we actually don't embrace that, Hey, it's great to have the darkness, like the darkness of the moon cycle to dive deep into your shadow and explore that because it's so normalized to everything be fine. And then if you're just constantly trying to be on a high, of course, you're going to have a big crash. So what do you see like with that balance? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's important to kind of be aware that there will be ups and downs throughout our cycles. Like while we're physically bleeding during our period, of course, we're going to feel a little bit more tired and need a bit more rest because we're physically bleeding and losing iron. And like, that's a time of nourishment and rest where we should be taking a bit of an off day if we're able to, or a slower day, and then nourishing our body with like super healthy foods if we're able to do so. Um, So just like utilizing those times in the correct way, because there will be ups and downs. And then during your ups, that's when you should be like, or you should try to be more productive with your time so that you can rest during the times that um, you should be resting. Mm -hmm. So long goes like the nine to five work week or work, work day for the week. Like, I really believe, I'm going on a rant here, Lynn, but I really believe that a lot of, well, here in Australia anyway, and I know recently um, in Spain, they're actually looking to normalize menstrual leave, right, at the moment, which is fantastic. However, there's a big backlash for those who are not menstruators, okay, mostly men, who are like, but why do they get menstrual leave? And I think a good healthy balance here would be like, look, you've got to work X amount of hours a month you choose those hours. So that means that when we do have those natural fluctuations of hormones, like estrogen that supports more energy or more creativity. Okay. Maybe you do a 10 hour day that, that day. And then on the other days you do like an eight hour day or vice versa, whatever it might be. What are your thoughts on, on menstrual leave and balancing out the work? Yeah. I think that the way you put it is like a really nice idea where as long as it's a certain set of hours per month, that makes sense because it's fair for like both parties, um, for people with uteruses and people without uteruses. Because at the end of the day, like, yes, like our hormones for people who have like ovaries, our hormones are very up and down. And so we do follow a monthly cycle for the most part um, versus people who don't have ovaries tend to have very regular baseline hormones every single day. And so they're able to be the same 
level for the most part of productiveness every single day. Um, and so it's a little bit easier sometimes for them to just be able to kind of like not have as many rest days than menstruators who have more of the fluctuations and we need to listen to our bodies a little bit more. So it does get tricky to like be able to like be fair for both parties, but that, that would be a really cool model of like, Hey, like X amount of hours per month, like use them as you can, because even around ovulation, some people don't feel so great. And so maybe some people would feel that that's when they need more rest around ovulation, even though a lot of people feel great around ovulation. So there's like definitely, um, that would be a really cool model for sure. If let's see, maybe 2023, you heard it here first. (laughs) I've been like ranting about this for a while, but like, maybe that's how it could happen for everyone. And I understand there's certain, um, getting so off topic, but I do understand that there's certain like workplaces, like being a school teacher, you can't just be like, you know what guys, we're starting school an hour later today. Like I understand that it can't work in all places, but we do have an opportunity to ask for support to see if we can make that happen or asking, you know, um, employee employers, if, Hey, remember that time when the world shut down and I got to work from home? Like, could I just work from home two days a month? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going on a ramp, but there's lots of opportunity there. Lots of opportunity. You mentioned earlier or just before about physical and mental signs or symptoms that can lead to PMDD. So what are the physical and then what are the mental? Because I feel like a lot of people would understand the mental signs perhaps of PMDD, but what are also the physical, like explain both of those to us. Yeah, so um, if we go through some of the mental uh, symptoms that some people feel who have either PMS or PMDD, but we're going to focus on PMDD today, the impact would be just very, again, significant where it impacts relationships, it impacts their ability to work, or it impacts their quality of life at that time. And so when I talk about anxiety or depression coming up during that time of someone's cycle, um, the definition of PMDD is that it needs to be impactful to someone's quality of life at that point. So not just like a little fluttering thought of like anxiety where it's like, I feel a little bit anxious, but I'm able to push through. It has to be like significant enough that you're fighting with your partner or you're not able to work. um, You're not able to get out of bed. And there's obviously different levels of severity because someone who has a better support system will be able to still push through and get out of bed and go to work than someone who doesn't have those support systems. So Mm -hmm. the mental health symptoms are anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation comes up quite a lot um, for people with PMDD as well, whether it's just the thought or it goes further into like almost planning something that time of your cycle. Um, there's also the fatigue, the irritability, the anger, more interpersonal conflict. So again, like fights with your partner or people that you live with or friends. Um, so those are really big ones that come up. Um, cravings are huge as well. Your impact on like sleep. So you either oversleep or undersleep that time of the cycle. And again, all impacting your life, um, and having an impact on your quality of life versus the physical symptoms. um, We are talking about bloating, cramps, um, lower back pain. uh, What else? Like sore, tender breasts. There's so many different things that could come up with physical or somatic symptoms that are Mm. part of the diagnostic criteria. There's really a lot, isn't there? Yeah. A lot. Yeah. I forget exactly what number, but there's, I want to say there's about, and I could be wrong on this, but there's about 200 or 300 different symptoms that are possible with PMS. That's a lot of symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I definitely know the number is up, is up high around there. Um, In cyclical school, we talk about PMS, I call it pre-menstrual signs. Um, But these cycle signs that come up, like that's your body communicating. And most people wouldn't be like, oh, tender boobs, what does that have to do with, you know, PNDD? But I think it's kind of a marrying of like a few different ticks. Not that we like to tick box because the patriarchal world, but, you know, just go, okay, we got this and we can identify with that and identify with this. And, oh, that's also happening. And I think if you've got stuff happening on both sides of the scale, it's a good time to be like, you know what, I'm just going to learn more about this and seek some support. Is that what you would recommend if someone's listened to this being like, oh my God, I've got all those things. Yeah, I agree. I feel like reaching out and really asking more questions, like, is this a normal amount of symptoms? Is the severity okay? Because like I mentioned earlier, PMS, 
we can expect some symptoms. Obviously, we're not going to all walk around not have any symptoms around our PMS or around our luteal phase. But as long as they're just more of a little like, I feel a little like twinge in my like breasts because they're a little bit more sore or like I'm more tired because it's a time where like your energy goes down, but it should never be impactful enough that you're kind of like sitting on the couch all day or unable to get out of bed. Um, and you have like major brain fog. Like if it ever gets to that point, like, yes, like definitely bring it up or even like tender breasts to the point of like going up and down the stairs hurts, or you can't even put on a bra cause it's so like sore and tender and like swollen. Um, or anytime that there's more than like a couple symptoms, that's also important to bring that up to mm. a health provider. We've just for too long been like, you know what? That's totally normal. You should totally yeah. be in pain. You should totally just sit on the couch all day for five days yeah. in a row. But um, listen to your body. It's like we're not designed to be in pain. We're designed to, you know, live a beautiful, fruitful life. And I'm sure there's some people listening to like, fucking bitch. Like, <laughs> man, like that's me. I have debilitating pain. And when, oh, I don't get any period pain. I just go about my life totally fine. It's, <laughs> don't get stuck in comparing your experience to someone else's experience. There's some really beautiful lessons in your experience. So reach out for support from someone like a naturopathic doctor to learn about all the functioning processes to work with a menstrual cycle coach to understand how you can live more cyclically in harmony with your cycle. Work with a team of people. Um, That's what I always say. Do you have anything to add to that before I ask the next question? Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I feel like a group approach works really well for a lot of people. And like, um, even having like a really good, like functional medical doctor on your team would be great too, because they have a different approach sometimes too, like, or a holistic based, uh, medical doctor as well. And I find that our lifestyle and our society nowadays doesn't, it kind of feeds into this whole like PMS and PMDD because we don't have the time to rest and we just keep like throwing everything under the rug like oh it's fine it's just that time of the month and it's like we shouldn't have to deal with that like it's super important to like talk about it and really see like is there anything you could do to support that and live in harmony like you said with your cycles because most of us cycle for a really long time for many years um and so it's important to kind of like learn how to go with the flow. Sorry for my, no pun intended there, but yeah, no, I love go it with your flow. Um, cause it's, yeah, it's important. It's part of your life and we should kind of learn how to like harness the powers of it. Hear ye sister, hear ye. I could not completely agree anymore. Today's episode is sponsored by Eco Modern Essentials. Over the last year and a half, I've fallen in love with their essential oil blends and my diffuser is going nonstop in my home and my office and everything smells delicious when you enter my house. I've fallen in love particularly though with their Mindset Collection. It's a premium collection of essential oil blends curated with intention to elevate your mindset. You can connect with each story of each individual blend and what it represents and take that into your day along with its positive attribute and blend name. A dollar from every Mindset Collection purchase will be donated equally across the six mentioned charities on their website. Head to ecomodernessentials.com.au and use the code GEMMALEE10 to save on purchases over $85. This discount code cannot be used with any other code or offer and cannot be used on recurring subscription boxes. If you want to learn more about them and their cheeky, amazing blends, head to their Instagram page as well, Eco Modern Essentials. So tell us, with the cycle, what are the hormones that contribute to PMDD and things like PMS. Now I know PMS is such a broad, (laughs) like you said, over 200, it's such a broad like term, but if we focus even just on the PMDD, what hormones contribute to that? Is there specific hormonal imbalances that are good signs? Or maybe you do fall in this category somewhat. Let's look what else is contributing. Tell us. Yeah, so it's actually a really good question and one that if you look at the evidence, it was quite interesting what the research shows when it comes to PMDD. So progesterone is at play here for PMDD um, because what they found is ovulation needs to happen for PMDD to be an issue. And so obviously after you ovulate, um, that's when you release progesterone 
and then PMDD can happen. And so it's not that there's a problem with progesterone per se, because when they tested blood work on people who had PMS or PMDD and people who did not have it, and kind of like mixed them up and said like, guess who has it and who doesn't, you can't tell based on the blood work um, who has it and who, ha- who doesn't, because we all go through right after ovulation, a quick up of progesterone and the quick downfall of it. And that's what leads to your period. It's actually, when it comes to PMDD, it's your sensitivity to the up and the down that causes the symptoms. And so how that happens is that we have GABA receptors in our brain and the GABA receptors are in charge of relaxation, calming. Um, They're a really calming neurotransmitter. And they found that with people who have PMDD, progesterone is supposed to be acting on those receptors and calming down our brain and giving us a sense of like calm and like feeling really chill. But with people with PMDD, they almost get a sensitivity to the hormone at that time of their cycle where it does the opposite. They actually feel the opposite of what they should. And so it, it doesn't calm them down. It like upregulates and like causes this whole, I don't know, like imbalance, I guess, in like your brain and how your brain talks to your body. And so you end up with all these symptoms. And so it's really, I would compare it almost like to a food sensitivity where some people cannot eat gluten because they're sensitive to it. This is almost a sensitivity to the progesterone at that time of the cycle. And it's really interesting because for the longest time we thought it was truly an imbalance that was happening, but the balance is there. It's the person's reaction to the hormone that is causing a problem, which is why some of the strategies around it, the more conventional strategies are to stop ovulation because then that fixes the problem. I mean, fixes the problem. I, I say in that inverted as, brackets. Like, yeah. In like, um, I guess a more band-aid solution, it fixes the problem because it stops ovulation. Therefore there's no more progesterone, but as soon as like ovulation restarts, then PMDD comes right back, but it is used as one of the strategies because if there's no progesterone, that reaction is not happening. So therefore the symptoms aren't coming up. Mm, Wow. I'm just like, wow, listening to you. Firstly, that's not a bad, that's not a solution. There's so many other solutions. (laughs) And like you said, it's like a band-aid. Yes, it might remove the challenge right now, but what about in five years time, when you decide that you'd like to maybe start a family or what about when you decide, hang on, I don't want to be on this hormonal form of contraception anymore. I'd like to, you know, reduce the toxic load on my liver or whatnot. So interesting though, what you mentioned about the sensitivity with progesterone, love the analogy with gluten, love analogies, (laughs) because it really shows that, Hey, some people are more sensitive than others. And I think that when we um, look at the cycle, I know there's probably a lot of listeners listening to this be like, yeah, but I don't have PMDD and I still feel like I'm going down at that time of my cycle. So maybe you don't have a sensitivity, but we are naturally turning inward. Yeah. And so not everyone feels calm and restful, but I think the more we live cyclically and we embrace eating for each phase of your cycle, moving for each phase of our cycle, honoring the emotions, the creativity in each phase of our cycle. We start to allow that body to drop in, in that luteal phase of rest, of calm. And we start to do things long and slow and strong instead of fast paced and action taking and doing, doing, doing. So great explanation, because I feel like a lot of people get really confused with those hormone balances and they just, oh, I've just got a hormone imbalance. Do you see that a lot in your, in your practice? Like, oh, I've just got, I've got so many hormonal imbalances. Yeah, I definitely see that often. And I also see where people are testing or I'm testing their hormones for my patients and it comes back normal and it could feel really defeating because they're, they were so stuck in like, I have a hormonal imbalance. And then we have to go down the route of your body's reaction to the hormone may not be appropriate. So it might be that your hormones are doing what they are supposed to do but your reaction is not appropriate to that hormone. And so it's causing these issues. And then our treatment plan is more based off of how do we, again, support your body as you're going through these different sites or these different parts of your cycle. And how do we make sure that you're not sensitive to the shifts happening? Because that could be quite a lot. I mean, it looks like a roller coaster when you look at it on a diagram, there's ups and downs and ups and downs. And there's and four just different things. Up. And like, how do I know which one's which? And it's, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think, I think I like to phrase it like there's not a single day um, for menstruators where our hormones are the exact same. 
we are constantly in a shift. There's not a single day that it's the exact same as the day before. And so of course we're gonna feel different every single day, but as long as we learn how to support that as best as we can, then it's easier to, again, live with those shifts and not mm. be systematic. I love that explanation because I'm on day 18 of my cycle today as we're recording this. And this day, the way my hormones are right now, is only going to happen another 12 times in the next 365 days. (laughs) So, you know, we aren't, we're very different to those born without physical uteruses and non-menstruators in that, in that sense, because their hormones are pretty much the same every single day and they run on that 24 hour cycle. And that's really why it's so important for us to have a different approach to living in that cyclical nature. And um, you mentioned treatment plans. I could imagine and I've not been down this path myself because I personally have not had PMDD, but I could imagine that in a, um, like a Western allopathic practicing, practicing doctor clinic that I might get diagnosed with PMDD and then told, all right, well, you need to use an antidepressant and go on the contraceptive pill, for example. And that's probably what, from what I understand, what most of their suggestions would be, but what is a holistic Um, treatment plan look like natural versions and what can we do Um, and before you answer that question is it likely that they're going to be recommended from a general practicing doctor yeah so you pretty much um, answered it already so the first line therapy for PMDD is an SSRI so an antidepressant Um, so that seems to be first line and it's interesting because some studies um use it all month long, all the time, like a general antidepressant. And other studies have found that even if uh, the patient just takes it for two weeks out of the month, they also get benefit. And so if that is something that is needed for um, very severe PMDD with like suicidal ideation, then it might be an option to only consider it two weeks out of the month, right? Um, For very severe cases or even the whole month. But there are a lot of um, holistic options like you mentioned, and I'd love to go over them. Um, I don't know if you wanted to talk about like supplementation and vitamins first, or if you wanted to go down the nutrition route first, do you have a preference? There's so much. Um, no, share it in a way that you think is beneficial. I love to like think of things really simplistically in the sense that if it's too overwhelming, most people just aren't going to take action on it. So if you want to maybe like put all of the nutrition together and then maybe put lifestyle factors, if you've got any lifestyle factors together, oh. um, but yeah, nutrition supplements, tell us, is there actually quickly on that thought, is there any deficiencies that can lead or contribute to things such as PMDD? So a short answer, yes. Um, There could be deficiencies that link to that just based on like all these different pathways that need to really line up and function really well for our cycles to function well and for even our neurotransmitters in our brain to function well. So indirectly, yes, there could be deficiencies causing a worsening of PMDD, um, especially... I mean, we're going to talk about calcium as an option and uh, B6 as an option. So those are my main ones. And vitamin D2, um, sorry, vitamin D3 as well. I didn't mean to say D2. Um, you, meant, you meant vitamin uh, D as well. <laughs> as well, exactly. <laughs> vitamin D3 is a really important uh, supplement as well. And it plays a large role in PMS and PMDD. So we'll chat about that. But the way that I like to start is nutrition because I find nutrition needs to be there. It's really a foundational thing um, that even if we take supplements, if our nutrition isn't there, they almost act like a band-aid solution too, right? Like totally. they just supplement what we're not able to get through food. And so I do like to start with food. And again, I want to bring it back to like evidence and research, because I love science and understanding like, is there research behind nutrition for PMDD? And what was really interesting about the research is they found that both extremes when it comes to nutrition, either under eating or overeating caused a worsening of PMS and PMDD. And so it's really important to again, have that like, really well balanced diet as much as we can and not go to the extremes. Cause I know oftentimes like as a society are going more towards like restrictive diet, sometimes like intermittent fasting, which in some ways can be helpful. But when we're talking about PMS and PMDD, not so much, like mm. it's really important to nourish our body all day long and make sure that we're having enough calories, but not too much of the not good type of calories. 
research also shows that uh, decreasing or eliminating alcohol is super important. The research didn't really go down the rabbit hole of like, is it because of like liver detox and how it like slows that down? That I don't know and can't answer based off research, but they did find that people who drank more alcohol or consumed more alcohol were more likely to deal with PMS and PMDD. The carbohydrates, so the carb portion was also really interesting because if someone consumed more of the like simple sugars, they tended to have more PMS and PMDD. But if you consume more of the complex carbs and a higher carb diet at that time during the luteal phase, you did better when PMDD symptoms. So at the end of the day, I always recommend, um, to really eat a nourishing diet that contains the complex carbs. There is a reason why we crave carbs in the luteal phase totally. because it's actually helpful for us that time of the cycle. Like it's super important to like eat those complex carbs that have lots of fiber in them and not to um, go really low carb that time of the cycle. And um, a reduction is so in sodium is also really important. Um, they found a clear link between higher sodium diets and higher PMS and PMDD symptoms. Wow. I love that you mentioned that about carbs in the inner autumn time, because so many of us think that, oh, I get the munchies and I'm so hungry and I'm pre-mental. So like, I'm just going to eat all the fucking chips. I'm going to have the ice cream. I'm just going to eat all the sweets, but they're actually not contributing to the healthy requirements of that time of your cycle and also good preparation for when you menstruate. So some examples, do you mind if I share some examples of healthy yeah. kind of carbs that I love and I'd love to hear yours. I really look forward to at this time of my cycle. It's like the one, you know, time of the, the cycle that I'll eat loaded potatoes. So I'll make sweet loaded sweet potatoes. Yum. I love to make gnocchi. <laughs> So gnocchi or like a pesto, you know, buckwheat pasta. Um, I also really love to have nachos and my nachos are actually just grated veggies, you know, with corn chips. And like, that's kind of like a naughty food for me. It feels like a naughty food anyway. Um, but it's so beneficial at that time of the cycle, as opposed to like eating it pre-ovulatory. Um, so what are some healthy meal options that you would suggest for that pre-menstrual luteal phase time? For sure. So like a really healthy, I guess, like carb option, like what I love for breakfast is a really good, like overnight oatmeal, um, because that's quite nourishing and you can easily add like a nut butter and like hemp hearts on there and make it super healthy. Um, I also really love sweet potatoes because I feel like that's a really good complex carb and quite nourishing. Like it's a really gentle one too, and easy to digest for a lot of people. And any kind of like quinoa rice dish, as long as it's like a complex um, whole grain is kind of nice too, especially if you do more of a stir fry with it, with the veggies mm. on top and yeah, like those or really curry or yeah. lots of root veggies. I'm getting so salivating here. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, this is perfect. Thank you so much for sharing. Now tell us about the micronutrients. So like the, the supplements, I like to call them nutritional products, but you know, what kind of nutritional products or micronutrients are actually beneficial to have extra or more of outside of our food to complement the food that we're eating? Yeah. So when it comes to um, natural health products or vitamins, um, what the research shows is calcium performed really, really well for PMDD and PMS as well. Um, to the point of it hit almost every single symptom. Um, it definitely helped with. Um, the mood changes such as irritability, anger, the cravings, the insomnia, the fatigue, but it also helped with some of the somatic symptoms like the physical bloating and uh, the tender breasts. And the reason why I was trying to figure out like why calcium, like that's such a odd one. A lot of people are shocked that calcium really does help with PMDD and PMS is because estrogen levels rise at that time of the cycle in the luteal phase and it lowers your calcium levels and um, calcium is really important for the serotonin receptors in the brain and if you don't have enough 
then your serotonin pathway is impacted. Mm. And for someone who is already sensitive to the shift in the hormones, the progesterone specifically, they will feel that impact a lot more. And so calcium performed really, really well. Typically, um, most people see an improvement within two to four months of taking a calcium supplement. Um, so it's really cool that like it, it helps with that. Um, otherwise, B6, we know that there is research uh, using B6 for PMS and PMDD as well. Um, it works through different pathways. Not only does it help support hormones, but also helps with the neurotransmitters in the brain. So it has been shown to help improve a lot of the, again, both physical and um, mood changes occurring with PMDD. And vitamin D is a big one. And I know a lot of us are deficient in the probably in the whole world, we're all deficient in vitamin D, right? Um, I know in North America, the stats are actually quite high in how many people are deficient, that most people tend to supplement with it on a yearly basis. Um, but they have found a clear link between someone who's deficient has a higher risk of having PMS or PMDD. And so by replenishing it, um, it really is beneficial because vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin. Um, I do recommend that most people get it tested first if possible, especially if they're doing mega dosage, um, just to make sure they're not overloading their body too much with it because you can overload on it. But if you're doing more base dosages or moderate dosages, um, not everyone gets tested. It's just kind of ideal so that you know exactly if you need to take like one or two drops a day, or if you need to take like 20 to 30 drops a day. Um, cause here in Canada, um, it's only sold as like a thousand I use per drop. And so I don't know if it's different where you are, but yeah, the dosage is quite low. Um, what's available over the counter here in North America. Vitamin D here on average is about a thousand I use, but in tablet form, there's not that much option here mm-hmm. for liquid form, but most of it is like the very small tablets. And you just say about mega dose. So you just reminds me of when I had the Rona and I was taking like 60,000 units a day. <laughs> and my partner's looking at me like I was literally, I can't even think about how much vitamin C I gave myself, obviously through like duration and, you know, quality, quantity and like separation of of taking it because it's like water soluble. So I wasn't taking it all at once. I was like every, you know, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, I was taking vitamin C and he was waking me up in the middle of the night to be like, you got to take your vitamin C now. Um, But vitamin D is so important. I actually recommend to my clients that there's a, a product with magnesium, vitamin D and calcium all chelated together. Of course, as you would know, vitamin D is great with a fat soluble vitamin to help you absorb those nutrients. And I always say, look, just take extra that week leading into your menstruation. And I find that the reports that I've received from clients is it's very supportive in helping prepare for your cycle or your menstruation. It's also a good time to be like, okay, so I've got to up this here and I've got to start maybe having my castor oil pack and then, okay, I'm going to change my food. And so it's a really good time to like create change for your cycle for a healthy bleed. Um, But I love what you mentioned about vitamin D because it's so vitally important. Like every cell in our body needs vitamin D and so many people are deficient, even if they think, Oh, but I spent a lot of time in the sun. I'm like, you you can't just absorb through your skin. You know, you have to be a little bit sweaty. You absorb more vitamin D through like the wider parts of your skin than the, the yang parts of your skin. So yeah, big rant on that. But I love that you suggested those. So would you recommend taking those all separately in a supplement form or putting them together? Of course, go and get some blood test done. I like to do that every six months myself, just to find out where my levels are at, even though I'm healthy, you can still go and get tested. Even if you're healthy, what would you recommend? Like putting it all together? Cause most people are like, okay, calcium, got to buy that separately. B6, got to get that separately. Vitamin D, got to get that separately. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So my thoughts are, it really does depend on the brand that people are using because some brands are the correct dose all within one capsule. And that's great when you can achieve that. If you can take one or two capsules of a complex product is what I like to call it, where all the ingredients are in there. Great. But if you're not achieving a therapeutic dose, then it may not do anything for you. So that's when we like to separate them and do like a separate calcium and separate magnesium. But a CalMag together tends to be the correct dose in one product um, with a vitamin D. They're able to usually fit all of that in there um, at the correct dose. And timing of the day, kind of the same thing. If someone's able to remember to take something consistently every single day at the same time, 
great. Don't worry about separating it and having this like huge protocol of like three times per day. If you remember once a day and you're consistent with that, it's better for someone to stick to that than try to have this complex schedule where they're going to forget half of their dose most days. Or they're just going to forget to take them at all anyway. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we can come full circle and say that, you know, supplementation is very good and very supportive with the right quality of product, you know, the right brand of product, the right dose um, and duration, but it's your food that's more important. So, you know, you can't, I always say, you can't just eat a fucking burger every day and just then take a multivitamin and think that you're just going to be healthy the good food works well with good supplements and they actually work together like a team. So, you know, find, find a happy balance between the two. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I totally agree. And that's why I said like nutrition is foundation because without it, we could take all the supplements in the world and not feel any better because we're not changing the lifestyle piece, Mm -hmm. um, which is good nutrition, good movement, decreasing stress, sleeping really well. Like those are all really, really foundation to our health and, yeah, the supplements won't fix those things. And so totally. if you stop taking a supplement, uh, it's going to come right back, right? If those foundational things aren't being addressed as well. Mm, I love that great little analogy there on how that all works. Now, I've got two final questions because we're almost out of time, probably over time actually. But if everyone listening who might think, oh, maybe I fall down that path sometimes of leaning into like towards PMDD, or I've got a friend who has PMDD, what would you recommend, Lynn, is like the, the top three to five things that someone can do to support themselves right now? Yeah. So right now the top thing would be start tracking. Cause I feel like that is so powerful information that they can use towards, um, talking to a healthcare practitioner or seeing if like what they're dealing with is, um, significant or impactful to their life. I would also suggest like really reflecting on the, the person's lifestyle. Like, are they really, really busy on the go all the time, stressed out? And if so, can anything change? I know we can't, get rid of stress, but we can make small changes to make it more manageable. And so stress impacts our hormones so much through the HPA axis, which is a whole other conversation that we're not going to get into. Made a whole episode just for that one. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Um, And so yeah, stress um, is number two. Sleep is my number three. Like if you're not sleeping, your hormones will not work properly because their circadian rhythm is so important to support having the really nice spike of melatonin at night and their rise in cortisol in the morning for a really good cortisol awakening response is like beautiful and what we want to see so that your other hormones can be supported. Really focusing on blood sugar balance uh, would be my other I guess, like recommendation, because if we're constantly consuming um, simple sugars, we get these spikes and drops in blood sugar, and that would impact our cortisol, which would then impact our reproductive hormones and our periods and like PMS and all of that. So really focusing on fiber and protein and healthy fats at all your meals, including snacks. I know a lot of people sometimes forget snacks like require still those basics there, right? Sometimes we're quick at grabbing a granola bar or crackers that contain nothing but like sugar and add things in there. And it's like, okay, let's have hummus with the crackers or like something that adds like protein, like a handful of almonds with your crackers. Um, So really focusing on supporting blood sugar And my fifth one is movement. Um, Mm. I know movement can tie into like the stress relief for some people, but really important to like move our body every day because I feel like that is important to health. And it doesn't have to be a full workout or like cardio or anything, like something as simple as a walk, even a walk in nature, right? Could really help um, de-stress and like reground you. Mm, I love those five. Even just like stretching or doing like a yin yoga class, which is basically just stretching, like- Awesome. Awesome for your body. I love these tips. Thank you. Now everyone's probably listening to me like, how do I learn more about Lynn? She's got such good tips and advice. How can people find you? Like what's the best way to connect? Yeah. The best way to connect is through my Instagram. Um, I do personally respond to the DMS and all the DMS. Sometimes they get lost in the other folder, but I eventually see them. Um, so my Instagram is at Dr. Lynn N D. So that's D R L Y N N E. ND for naturopathic doctor. And yeah, they can connect with me there. I share a lot of information. Like most of my posts are actually infographics. Um, just 
So it's like really educational and people have a resource to go back to um, and save. People love resources. So I love that. I'll put all of those links in the show notes. So thank you so much for sharing, including a link to your website and all the, all the things. Now I have a final podcast question for you. So I'm looking forward to your answer to this. We're switching gears. I want you to think back to your younger self, Lynn, when you got your first period, what are three things that you wish you had have known then that you now know today? Yeah. Um, The first thing is I wish that our education system was better around periods. I don't know how it is where you are, but here um, I find that periods aren't really talked about as much in school. And so I remember being a little bit confused and being like, what is happening? Why am I bleeding? Um, And not really understanding until my mom was like, this is your period. This is fine. Like, you're not going to die. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. I feel like education for young girls could be, or uh, young menstruators could be a lot better um, in school. And then I wish I knew it didn't have to be painful. Um, I lived for far too many years in pain during my teenage years. And I remember it really impacting my life. Like, really not being able to attend certain social events because I was in so much pain. I had to be at home with my heat pack and like my tea and like, just like, yeah, I know it's like, I'm supposed to rest during that time, but I remember just being sad that I wasn't able to like attend certain things because my period was so bad. Um, And then the other thing is I wish that I knew that there would have been more options than just birth control. Um, So I never personally took um, an oral contraceptive, but I remember that that was the only option that I was given. And then I felt kind of defeated, like, well, if I don't want to be on that, then I have no other option. And Mm -hmm. so again, like tying it back to, um, that's why I lived in pain for so long, because I wasn't given any other alternatives. Um, It was that or nothing. Um, And so, yeah, I just wish there would be a lot more education around everything. Mm beautiful wishes. I wish all of those things too. Lynn, thank you so much for being here, dedicating your time to share all of your beautiful wisdom, particularly about PMDD, a conversation that we definitely need a lot more of. Thank you for being here. And um, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for tuning into every episode of the Well Woman podcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. If this episode excited you, please hit follow on Spotify, which means all of my episodes will pop up in your feed weekly so you never miss a weekly drop. I'd love you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts too. Love this episode? Come and follow me over on Instagram at wellsom underscore Gemily. Say hi and share what you've taken away from this episode with me. Now, is there a bestie, sister, or a friend who you know who might be fed up, frustrated, and confused with their cycles? Are they ready to join you in awakening their cyclical essence too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your socials, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to them. So together, we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our cycles. Now, until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body, and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.